You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it. With tales from all over the nation, come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Well, hey, 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 AP. Hello, Murph. How's it going? Oh, fantastic. It's a beautiful day in Des Moines, Iowa today. Good. And it's an equally beautiful day in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. It's that fall shoulder season kind of weather. So. Yeah, I did. When I went for a walk this morning, I had to put a light sweatshirt on. And of course, I was too hot by the time I was done. But it still, (laughs) you know, fall's my favorite season. So it's always like, sweatshirt weather. I know. But at the same time, my garden is blooming. And I just did a batch of pizza sauce and I saw a monarch butterfly this morning Ooh. so it's still kind of summer yeah if you want to fake it yeah cool yeah okay well uh stick with me on this so today's interview is with this woman named Maggie who you remember how I did gravel worlds a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and I actually mentioned this woman or at least I mentioned the event. There is a 300-mile mm. gravel event, and this woman, oh Maggie, completed it. Wow. Yeah, and not only did she complete it, she completed it on a single-speed bike, meaning... Oh, my gosh. She had one That's gear. Inspiring. One gear the whole time. So... Wow. I know. The interview is awesome, but and I'll tell you about it in a second. But it sparked a question I wanted to send your way. Okay. And maybe the listeners will also think about it. Mm, okay. <laughs> All right. So what's your take on long-distance cycling? Well, it is really long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I couldn't come up with something clever for that. But, uh, you know, I really love cycling, and long-distance cycling is just more of what I already love. Yeah. So, And I guess, you know, would you consider Ragbri to be a long-distance cycling event? Uh, I would, just because for the average person, any day on Ragbri is a really long way to bicycle. Yeah. If you are a hardcore long-distance cycler, perhaps you don't consider it long-distance cycling because we do have 45-mile days mixed in there. You know, it's not all super elite endurance type riding. So I don't know. Uh, what, what what do you think? I, I would I would consider it a long distance cycling event because, you know, when you're all done, when you hit the Mississippi River, you've completed well over 400, sometimes over 450 miles. So regardless yeah. of the fact that you got to sleep in between and have a good meal and see all your friends, it's still, I don't know, I think it's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Yeah. And the other thing is that once you finally get into shape and you complete a whole rag ride, I don't know about you, but I feel like I could ride nearly infinitely just because not at a quick speed, but yeah. just because I'm in shape and, you know, I could just ride all the way across the rest of the country if I wanted to. Oh, well, you know? hey, so. do you want to hey. do that? <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> so what is your longest bike ride? Not consecutive days, but number of miles. Uh, I probably should have looked this up on my Strava, but I think, (laughs) I know I've done over 100 miles many times. Mm. I think my longest is 112 miles. And it was, you know, not a race. It was just kind of a, you know, as the day ticks on, the miles keep ticking on. And I don't know, it's still a pretty big accomplishment. How about you? Yeah, I would say mine is probably similar, but I would have done it in the days before Strava when I was... I don't know. I won't say how much younger, but okay, maybe a teenager. (laughs) But I would do, there's a couple of rag brides where there was a natural mileage of 90, 95 miles. And then we were doing homestays. And so we'd have to drive bike extra miles to get to these homes and then also go pick up our luggage and bring it to the home. Anyway, I could have easily got to 115 on multiple occasions, but I don't think I've ever gone beyond that. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have... Maybe in my, like, dreams I've done, you know, super long. (laughs) But, yeah, I've never intentionally set out to do, you know, 200 miles or 300 miles or, God forbid, longer than that in one day. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it does sound fun because, I, like I said, I love biking, but I just don't know. Like, do you ever get bored? I mean, geez. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, physically any of us out there could – 
you know, work your way into doing a long distance event because, you know, you don't have to go fast. You know, even if you're going mm. 12 miles an hour, you know, do the math. Wait, let's do better math. If you're going <laughs> 10 miles an hour, you know that it yeah. would take you 10 hours to complete your 100 yeah. miles. So you just have to be prepared to be on the saddle that long. But I think yeah. any of us can do it. Yeah. The hard part for me is the mental side of it. You know, yeah. let's say you get yeah. to mile 75 and you're like, sweet, I'm three fourths of the way done. But then at the same time, you're like, can I sit on the saddle for 25 <laughs> more miles? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, anyone who knows me in biking knows that I, one of the reasons that I love to bike is that afterwards you get to eat a lot of pizza or any <laughs> other food. But if I get to the point where I'm too tired to have that, yeah. then what is the point? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess I would be interested in maybe building up to it someday, but I'm yeah. not there now, yeah. to be honest. Maybe yeah. it could be one of our 2023 goals, AP, is we do Ooh. a Just Go Bike podcast episode and we, <laughs> you know, maybe we interview ourselves every 10 miles and then, you know, the listeners will hear when we're at our peak and when we're at our <laughs> low points. Yeah. I don't know if people want to hear that, but we could try. We could give it a shot. All right. Well, if anyone wants to hear that, email us and tell us so, because then I will talk AP into doing it. Yeah, we're easily encouraged. <laughs> and we could, so. you know, kind of call it um, work because it would be a podcast oh, yeah. episode. Sweet. Well. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, obviously we're talking about long distances. And as I mentioned, Maggie is on the show today. She completed 300 miles. And I don't know if I said this, but it was in under 26 hours. Oh, my gosh. I know. That's insane. That's beast mode right there. It is beast mode. And she is was super excited. You'll hear about it in a second. She's very excited. And she's actually going to go forward with a longer race. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh I, my gosh. I won't spoil it. So we'll listen in in a second. But it made me start thinking about, you know, just long distance and world records. And her doing a 300 miles in 26 hours is not a world record, but holy moly, it's so impressive. But yeah, let's take a few minutes and talk about some world records. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, you know, of course, top of mind would be Denise Mueller who we talk about all the time, but in yeah. 2018, she made and still holds the motor paced bicycle land speed record at 183.9 miles an hour. That's just mind blowing to me. I mean, that's like blazing fast. Yeah. And if you Google Denise Mueller, you can actually watch, I think it's like a five minute uh, YouTube video of her making this world record. And it like kind of makes me tighten up and I get like, oh my gosh, even though I already know she did yeah. it, she won, she's safe. But I mean, one tiny bad move and that would have been a disaster. So congratulations, yeah. Denise. And it's amazing that sh that world record is still holding. Yeah, but I mean, it's pretty hard to go faster than that. I mean, I don't even want to drive a car faster than that. <laughs> Or even that speed. So, yeah, yeah. And it, her episode is episode 181 on the Just Go Bike podcast, if you'd like to tune in. Yes, it's well worth your time. So, okay, how about this? A 24-hour record. Hmm, okay. Hmm, 24-hour record, I would say 525 miles. Oh, okay, not even close. Oh. So, <laughs> Christoph Strasser set the 24-hour road record at... Ready? Uh -huh. 637.6 miles. Woo! Yeah, this happened in Austria, I believe, Austria, in okay. July of 2021. So it was pretty recent. Oh, yeah. And okay. there, there, there's also a female record holder, Amanda Coker, and she mm. did 512.5 miles. Oh, I was way closer to her record. Yeah, in October <laughs> of 2021. So. Oh, wow. That's, I mean... 
over 500 miles in 24 hours, like we're not talking about naps or having a beer or stopping at the local Casey's. Like that's bananas. It's that just crazy. Like that, those people are too tired to eat their pizzas after their bike ride. I'm I, telling you that right now. <laughs> I think that you are right. I bet you they crossed the finish line and passed out. Just went to straight into nap mode. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Do you know any other bicycle world records? Well, you know, our conversation got me thinking, what about if you were only on one wheel doing a wheelie? So, you know, it turns out people have rode really far on (laughs) one wheel. (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah. For example, Kurt Osborne, a.k.a. the Wheelie King from California, who I need to meet this gentleman because what a nickname. Yeah. Um, He has the Guinness World Record of riding on the back wheel of a bicycle from 1998. Oh. He rode a wheelie for a record 11 hours in the Anaheim Convention Center in California. So it sounds like it was part of like an event or something. 11 hours. Yeah. Doing a wheelie. Like, I would have to go to the bathroom an hour or two and quit. Right. (laughs) Wow. I mean, yeah, that's insane. But... It sounds like it's not really contested. Nobody else cares to wheelie for that long, apparently. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I think I've said it on this podcast, but during, you know, the COVID lockdown times, I did try and learn how to do a wheelie (laughs) in my underground parking in the cold of winter, and um, I failed. So I am not going to try and become the female wheelie king. (laughs) The wheelie queen? Well, (laughs) I'm glad you didn't... I'm glad you didn't get a concussion and die in your basement (laughs) trying to do a wheelie alone. (laughs) So I think that kind of, you know, proves that maybe you and I should stick to recreational riding. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I might foray into long distance, but I think, yeah, recreational is where it's at. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to this interview with Maggie and uh, you guys are going to be really impressed with her story. All right. Roll it. All right. Well, on the show today, I'd like to welcome Maggie. Hey, Maggie. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I am excited to have you on the show. Um, I'm sure listeners who have been tuning in lately know that I recently participated in an event called Gravel Worlds, and I was pretty proud of myself. I rode 70, ended up being 78 miles of gravel and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. And then I met you at the finish line, and you were cheering and excited. You just completed 300 miles of gravel on your bike, right? Yes. And not only uh, first that. First time taking that on. First time, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And not only that, you did it on a single speed, which I, I'm having a little bit of trouble getting my mind around it and thinking about, like, if I was doing 300 miles my mental game. I think I would have gone crazy at some point. But that's why you're on the show to kind of tell the listeners what it's like to ride your bike 300 miles in one, you know, one time. Yeah, um, it was it was something totally new for me. Um, This has been a year of kind of dipping my toes in endurance, riding uh, and single speeding. Actually, that was something I totally started at the beginning of this year as well. Really? Um, Yeah, I, I, (laughs) Uh, I actually built that bike up um, in February-ish. I had absolutely no idea there were certain types of bikes that were meant to be single speeds and Mm. some that really weren't and sort of learned how to to make it a single speed and about gear ratios and everything and sort of just thought the distance endurance thing is kind of cool and might be worth checking out. And uh, Gravel Worlds was such a cool place to have been a part of uh, that first time experience. The environment there, which I know you can attest to, is just unbelievable and so very welcoming. Agreed. Um, you know, not not just to seasoned riders, but to first time riders and even family of riders that were just there cheering. And uh, it's it's just a really cool time to do that. Yeah, I thought from beginning to end, Gravel Worlds was extremely welcoming, extremely fun, you know, which is sometimes people might not think of fun when you're thinking of gravel and dirt and, you know, sliding around in sand, but it, I just felt it was fun from, 
when I first got there to when I left. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. They they do such a wonderful job with with that event and the way they lay out the different routes, the different types of gravel that you kind of get to experience throughout the different races um, and the race levels and to incorporate the, the running side of thing in there. Just that ultra community, ultra family feel is, is really cool. Yeah. And I, I want to give a quick shout out. Gravel Worlds uh, is located in Lincoln, Nebraska. And for those of you, even if you're not into gravel and you're maybe, let's call it gravel curious, you have to check out their website. It's gravel-worlds.com. So there's our little plug for Gravel Worlds. So I alluded to it, we know when I first introduced you that you did 300 miles, the 300 mile race category, and you ended up women's first place for single speed. Yes, uh, it kind of caught me off guard. Um, (laughs) And not to mention third female overall in that distance, right? Yes. Wow, congratulations. Um, Thank you very much. I was not expecting either of those things going into the day yeah. uh, or evening, I guess, since we started at night. Uh, I really couldn't be more excited with how that turned out, yeah. but also surprised at the same time. There were a lot of really, really amazing and just determined riders out there. Um, I guess it's one of those things you just never know what happens within 300 miles. Right. <laughs> some days you have a good day on the bike. It's anything. And some days... Some days you don't. You never really know what's going to be coming at the other end of the, of the bike ride. So I I can say I had a, a good day on the bike. Right. And um, you mentioned you started in the evening. Um, and I believe, if I read right, you, re- you completed this race in less than 26 hours, right? Yes. Um, all of the 300-mile the distance, the long voyage, they call it, we all started at 5 p.m. on Friday night mm. and rode overnight into Saturday afternoon. And I originally had kind of given myself a 27-hour goal time. I figured 24 hours would be cool, 30 hours was the cutoff, split the difference, and we'll call it good. Um, and I ended up coming in, uh, I believe it was 25 hours and 56 minutes or oh, something wow. along those lines. Yeah. So just under the 26 hour mark. Wow. And you mentioned single speed and for those listeners, I'm sure everyone knows what that means, but it literally means you just have one gear. So do you want to tell us about your sweet bike setup? Sure. Um, I ride a Noli Cash, which is, uh, it's a company up in British Columbia. Mm. They are primarily mountain bikes, but have dipped their toes into the gravel world. Um, and they kind of consider it a progressive geometry gravel bike since they take a bit from the mountain bike background. Mm-hmm. Um, they make six different frame sizes, which I found incredibly amazing. I am pretty short so it's actually difficult to find a bike that fits well mm-hmm. um, and they actually do three different tube sets in the engineering of their bikes mm. so that it's not just a shrunk down version of their larger sizes they're actually engineered differently from the small to the large and one thing I really loved about that is I can run 700 C tires or 650 B tires with a lot of different size ranges without mm. having any toe overlap. Oh wow! Uh, for short riders, that's something that's kind of unheard of in a lot of bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't. It's actually not engineered to be a single speed bike. So I had a chain tensioner on it at first. I, you know, again, I had said before I wasn't really sure that there were differences in single speed bikes. And I started doing a lot of homework, and it has a threaded bottom bracket. And I actually found a company uh, called First Components, and they make threaded eccentric bottom brackets. And an eccentric bottom bracket actually is made to adjust a bit of chain tension out, so you can run it as a single speed. And I ran a 4019 gearing for the race, Mm. having the gravel seas or nonstop rollers throughout the 25 hours of racing um i didn't want to overdo my legs but wanted enough momentum that i could still carry myself up the climbs uh and i would say it was kind of the perfect gearing for the day wow uh, and i i think that would be such a hard decision 
to make, you know, going into it because it's not like you can change it once you're uh, once you're on. Yes, and conditions can make it different. I, I had a lot of sleepless nights um, deciding on gear ratios and gear inches. And I, again, since it was such a learning curve for me, I probably overthink everything having to do with a single speed. <laughs> but I think that was part of the fun for me about starting to ride a single speed was really exploring how the different gear ratios feel, mm -hmm. um, the type of terrain that you can tackle with an unloaded bike, with a loaded bike, and for bikepacking setups. And so that really brought a lot of enjoyment to this season, which has been so different for me for races than anything I've experienced before. Mm -hmm. But I've really enjoyed it and have found that bike, the, the Noli Cash, so versatile for every type of riding I seem to throw at it. Hmm. And had you... Um, had a long distance experience with that gearing and on that bike before the 300 miler? Um, at the beginning of this year, or I guess the beginning of kind of our warmer season, I um, did the Michigan coast to coast gravel grinder, mm. which is a 200, this year it was 213 mile race from the Eastern, um, border of Michigan all the way to the western border we start you know you dip your wheel in the water oh, sure. in the morning and ride and dip your front wheel into the water at the completion of the race and um, that was my first long distance race or ride um, uh, on a single speed and I was the first female to attempt and complete that on a single speed this year, which oh, was wow. kind of cool. Yeah. And way to just like go for it, man. Like your, your first time <laughs> and you do over 200 miles on a single speed. That's like really impressive. Thank you. It, I still kind of think back and wonder what I was thinking, but I guess <laughs> it's one of those like you never know what's going to happen unless you try it. So yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so we're literally talking, this is now your second event where you do 300 miles this time, and in yes. Nebraska, which many people who drive, I think it's Interstate 80 through Nebraska, are like, wow, super flat, boring. I am going to firmly disagree, and I'm assuming you will too. Oh, 100%. <laughs> there was, in my uh you know, I did 78 miles and I think it was almost 6,000 feet of climb. And that was crazy. Like every single time you'd get to the top of a climb and then you'd coast down and then boom, another one. It was just nonstop. So tell us your experience. Very similar. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was honestly very surprised. I live in Erie, Pennsylvania, and mm. we have a lot of steep, pitchy climbs, uh, long climbs, but a lot of flat and in between. Mm -hmm. And so I had looked at the elevation profile of the race, and for the 300 mile, it ended up being just over 15,000 feet of elevation. Wow. And I was watching as I was going. I think the, the first 100 miles had the most of the breakdown with about 6,300 feet of elevation. Mm. And it really, truly was just nonstop rollers. Um, nothing really high, you know, a couple hundred feet here and there. Mm -hmm. No overly steep grades, but they just never quit. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember getting towards the probably final 30, 30 miles of the race and you would turn a corner and from the top, the crest of the previous hill, think like, yes, this looks like it's going to be flat for a little while. <laughs> and you'd turn the corner and just, it would was a hill. <laughs> and nothing but that through the whole of the race. Oh, so God. I was very, very surprised at the terrain. But absolutely, Nebraska is not flat. Yes, that is just so true. Okay, <laughs> so next topic is nutrition and snacks. And this is probably you know, the very moment that I saw you at the finish line and, you know, we talked, I said you should be on the podcast. And then immediately I was drawn to your snack bag and you showed me what was in it. And I, I think, I'm sorry to say, but I think I said, ew, but yes. you like, give us, uh, like, give us your version of nutrition for that 300 miles. Yeah. 
Um, I feel like this is one of the pieces that I just, I know, eat early, eat often. You hear that a lot for endurance races. Mm -hmm. uh, eat whatever sounds good. And I don't know what I was thinking with the combinations that I was coming up with, but I... <laughs> Um, you know, I will always eat bars, kind bars, honey bun, um, honey stinger waffles. I like sport and science gels. So those are kind of standards, whether gas station or some of the things I carry with me. But mm -hmm. uh, this was my first time racing with uh, or even riding with a feeder bag mm -hmm. on the front. And that's a, you know, a little pouch that's open. You can put food in it. You can put a water bottle in it. Um, I love the, the pouch that I got. It's from a Cleveland company. Uh, it's actually a guy called Fuzzy Stitchworks. It was awesome. I had my GPS in there and uh, I kind of told myself at the beginning of the race at every gas station stop that I do, pour something in there, always have food available mm. so I know I'd eat it. So our first stop was uh, around mile 51 and I dumped in a bag of honey mustard pretzel twists and mini golden Oreos and oh. in my head. <laughs> Sweet and salty. Yes. Um, in my head, I, I was just thinking, these are going to be separated in here. So I'll reach in and I can eat an Oreo. I'll reach in and I can eat the pretzels. I've got this combination. And, you know, obviously they mixed together immediately and it tasted like honey mustard Oreos. <laughs> but that's what was in there. So I was eating it and I kind of got accustomed to it. And then at the next stop, I dumped in cashews and trail mix. So now I have cashews and trail mix and Oreos and honey mustard pretzels. Okay, and I was right. just eating this stuff by the handful. And at the next gas station, I put mini glazed donuts in. So those got broken up in this mix. <laughs> and I think I had pistachios uh, at another stop. And then I was breaking up sweet and salty bars. And so everything was just mixed together. And overnight, the pretzels and the Oreos got really soft. Oh, no. <laughs> it actually cooled off quite a lot. So it was just handfuls of nut mix, pretzel, mush. <laughs> but I was eating it through the whole of the race. And, you know, I would take a bite. And I would even probably out loud, too, because with that many miles, you're often alone. And you'd be like, this is so disgusting. But for some reason, it's going down really easily. And I ended up no, no GI issues, uh, you know, nothing like that. So it worked for me as disgusting as it sounds. <laughs> and I guess the big question is, have you tried to recreate it since? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I took a picture of it so I can remember what never to do. Yes. And for those of you who don't know what a feed bag is, it's actually a bag that's attached to your bike firmly and then it's open at the top, right? So mm -hmm. I just, I'm picturing you, you're riding along and you, you know, maybe you thought it was funny at some points where you're like, what will I get in this handful? And then it probably got to a point where you're like, same Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man. Um, do you have any, like anything you want to tell us about like mental status of being on your bike for that many hours, that many miles, and probably alone for a lot of it. Um, yeah, I, and I've done a couple, um, geared races that were a hundred miles, like smaller local to our area and have been alone a lot. And so I think I have gotten accustomed. I sing to myself. I talk to myself and mm -hmm. find that helpful. This was the first overnighter that I did. And I, could not have been more lucky. I rode with another single speed rider named Trisha. Hmm. Um, she was third female. Hey, um, we rode together through the night. And after hearing a lot of other recounts from people of how difficult riding alone through the night was, I really realized how lucky I was mm -hmm. to have found somebody to spend that time with. And we we talked, we chatted, we joked around, we kept each other awake. Um, and it really kind of set the, the pace, I guess, for mental status for the whole of the ride. Um, and I felt really good. I think after the sun came up, that was the weirdest shift for me. I'd felt tired overnight, a little, you know, we'd stop on the bike and do some stretching and things like that. And 
kind of work on keeping yourself awake, whether it's, you know, putting on some music, making sure that you're eating snacks, drinking water, whatever, reminding yourself to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the sun came up in the morning and just the heat after the cold temperatures in the evening felt to me like I'd had 15 hours of sleep and my legs felt so fresh. Wow. And I just started kind of pushing my pace a little bit, um, which really surprised me. I thought that would be kind of a lag in the day. And so I actually spent a lot more daytime hours by myself, which I think mentally was a huge boost. You know, we all go out in the daytime and ride and Mm -hmm. you can carry on those miles a little bit easier. The low point for me, I think it kind of is a combination at some point, I stopped feeling like eating. I couldn't stand that snack mix anymore. <laughs> um, it's hot. You're pushing, you know, dehydrated. Your butt hurts. Your mm. legs hurt. Mm-hmm. You're tired. Uh, kind of that whole thing. And m- mentally, that was a tough push to kind of get through. I, I rode with a good friend of mine uh, from Cleveland, E., for a good bit of the afternoon and we kind of parted ways at the um the gooder party at mile 250 Mm. and so the next stretch i was by myself trying to push my pace and just not in a great mental spot of of tired i called my wife on the phone i had hopped off my bike and like i don't want to ride anymore i want to i'm gonna sleep in a ditch and you know she is so good at motivating and she's like um no you need to get back on your bike. You need to start pedaling. You've got like 30 miles left I was going to go. say, at that point, you were so close to the end. Yeah. And um, you're like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I And I did. I hopped back on my bike and kept pedaling. And I know when I pulled into the checkpoint, it was at mile 277. That was absolutely the roughest spot for me. I wasn't feeling great you know, a little nauseous. Mm. I drank a Coke. They were so amazing. They refilled my pack, got my water bottles all filled up. And I think I was just kind of wandering around drinking my Coke, wishing I didn't have to get back on my bike. Mm -hmm. And I turned around and my friend E was just pushing the pace coming up the field to this checkpoint. And I probably was the most excited I've ever been in a race before. And it was... Like, here's my friend that I can ride with. Someone I know. <laughs> bring me energy. And I think we hugged and, you know, grabbed a Coke, did our thing. We're like, all right, this is it. couple more miles. Yeah. And one of the 150 riders was, you know, coming out of the chute with us. And she just said, you guys got like 5% left. You got this. <laughs> and it was just like those little things that, I think people don't realize how motivational they actually are to hear. And you're like, hell yes, we've 95% of this race done. It's, it's go time. And, um, I mean, it, it just as smooth sailing as it could, it was really kind of smooth sailing through the end. We listened to some pump up jams on the way in and just chatted and that really made the miles and that pain sort of, sort of dissipate and then the next thing you know you're you're crossing the finish line and you're done yeah that's I don't know having you know hearing a loved one on the phone is motivating seeing someone you know the music like it feels like all of you know all of the good things were aligning for you but then you still have to remember you've been on your bike for almost 300 miles like (laughs) the mental I don't know I can't I just can't wrap my head around it um, and just like the, the physical, the lack of sleep, the, you know, the grinding of the same movement over and over and over again. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so impressed. It's, it's hard to put into words and you actually, you know, you live through it. Yeah. It's, I, I think it still kind of surprises me. I think the, the mindset I had leading into the day was really helpful. I found for Michigan, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not really racing anybody because I'm on a single speed. I just need to ride this and finish the mileage. And that that worked really well for Michigan. It felt good to 
you know, just kind of keep that. And instead of having this like race mm-hmm. driven mindset. Um, and so when I walked into the starter gravel worlds, I was chatting with some friends and, you know, they kind of said 300 miles and I said, well, I did 213. So really it's, what is that? Like 93 miles of unknown. <laughs> and that was kind of the mindset that I had to keep through the race. I said, okay, when I get to 213 miles, then, then I'll know, because yeah. I know what it's like to ride 213. Yeah. Then I'll know what it's like from this unknown side of things. And I, I sort of kept that mindset through the whole thing, like waiting for 213 to, to kind of tick over on my, uh, on my computer. Wow. So I, I don't know if that helped or if it was like the perfect distraction from thinking about anything else, but it, it seemed to work. Yeah. And you know, tell us all what it felt like standing on that podium, knowing what you did and where you were. That was very weird. Um, I, I was, you know, I, I, in awe of everybody that's out there and Claire and Paige who were, you know, first and second are just amazing Mm -hmm. cyclists and all the riders from the 150 and the 78 and every distance um and looking out into the the crowd of people that were sort of gathered around the podium i saw so many people that i recognized from instagram oh (laughs) and i think more in awe of all these people in the crowd and that's what i was really paying attention to i'm like oh my gosh (laughs) this person and this person and this person it's so amazing to see them in person and so I think really I was so excited to feel like a part of something like that. But actually it was, I think, probably more all these people that I, that I saw and that I recognized and <laughs> in the cycling community. So it was really surreal. Uh, and I think it probably was about a week till it really set in, like, holy crap, that was a 300-mile race on yeah. a single speed. And you actually... <laughs> did pretty well. Wow. So it, it, it took a little while to kick in, I think. But I think that's part of, to me, that whole, the gravel community and the gravel family that everybody sort of talks about with, within that, that ride community and race community. It's everybody is so excited for everybody else at mm-hmm. these events mm-hmm. and, you know, on and on social media and things like that. To me, the, the most exciting part of the event was getting to meet a lot of and interact with people that I've followed and chatted with through social media for, mm-hmm. for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Cause I felt exactly the same way. You know, you would, I'd be walking through the crowd and I'd be like, Oh, I follow that person. Like, Oh my gosh, should I say hi? Like, what should I, you know, like, what should I do? And <laughs> anyway, so I felt very similar, yes. but a um, weekend of fangirling. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you think it is about long distance cycling that, you find appealing or you know since it's maybe a little bit new having those super long distances like what is appealing about it um i think the the whole idea of endurance uh goes back to actually like childhood for me when i was nine my swim coach was the first female to swim across lake erie oh wow. her name's hallie reed we have hallie reed park down at the beach and my mom took me down to watch Hallie come in from her swim and complete this. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen that somebody swam across the lake. And I guess ever since then, it's sort of been ingrained in me that endurance is something worth exploring. Mm-hmm. It took me quite a long time. I'm 39 now, so gap of 30 years in there uh, to do something about it. But I... I love the idea of finding out your personal limits. I think for me, it's just really exploring, do I have the physical and the mental capacity to take something like this on, to push past the comfort level Mm -hmm. that I know? Um, And so it really is just, I mean, what's the worst that could, what's the worst that could happen? Why not? Why not give it a try? Right. And I, I, I guess I really don't have a better answer than that. Why gravitating towards those long distances? I love the idea of 
of bike packing and bike touring and hop on the bike and see where it takes you. And mm-hmm. so I guess that same uh, desire for adventure sort of goes into this sort of race side of things too. Here's a 300 mile course that's laid out for you. You don't have all the quite as much of the planning mm-hmm. side of things and see what you're made of. And it's a, a challenge to be able to do that. And, you know, personal progression and also being able to interact with other people that are taking on these same events and meeting other people that like to do the same thing or have that, what the hell's next? You know, what else can I do right. if I've if I've done this sort of thing? And um, I think I just really appreciate pushing myself that way, but also finding people to, to push alongside with and, and keep growing that community. Yeah. And I also think it's really cool that like you and I can both exist at the same sort of event because I'm not doing that event to race. I'm doing it, you know, I'm, I call myself a recreational rider, right? Like I ride my bike probably, I don't know, five to seven days a week, but I'm not there to like go as fast as I can. I'm there to more experience, meet people, you know, see what it's like. And still I'm pushing myself, but it's so fun that an event like Gravel Worlds, both of us can exist and still have a blast. You know, you're pushing yourself. I'm pushing myself. You happen to get on the podium. I did not, but I, that wasn't my goal. So I just, I love that about events like, especially gravel events. Absolutely. It really is no matter what the distance you're taking on or, you know, even if somebody's getting on a bike for the first time and it's a push to get to five miles, that same mindset is the push to get to 300 miles. And I think it just continues that, I don't know that bikes are the very first taste of freedom that we have as kids. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to walk away from the house. You can bike a little further than you got. And I think for me, every time I get on the bike and get to explore somewhere new, it's that same total feeling of freedom. And I, I, I feel like a lot of people experience the bike in that same way. And so from five miles to 20 miles, do a hundred miles to whatever, it's just that shared love of, freedom all over again and excitement to be on the bike and absolutely events that cater to the excitement of the bike Mm -hmm. rather than you have to be on a bike and you have to do this to win something or you know anything along those rides and bikes equates career or or there's a time and a place for that Mm -hmm. and there is a time and a place for absolutely everybody else and that experience of of bikes mean freedom and fun and gravel worlds and a lot of a lot of uh, events really do cater to that and i think it gets more people on bikes and it gets more people excited to ride bikes and find a larger bike community yeah and it's you know funny to say it this way but of course we all find bikes exciting and challenging because we're actually paying money to do these crazy <laughs> events like you know like 30 years from now, you're going to be telling this story and you'll be like, yeah, I paid a lot of money to ride my bike 300 miles. And then end of story, people will be like, why, what? But, you know, we all know what you did and why you did it. And we would want you to do it again. (laughs) Um, You know, you said at the beginning that I think you said you live in Erie, Pennsylvania, but do you want to give the listeners a quick synopsis of, you know, the community that you live in and what cycling is like there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Erie is on the northwestern part of Pennsylvania, right up underneath Lake Erie. So I live two miles from the lake, Mm. um, which is really cool. We have amazing sunsets, although I have to admit the Nebraska sunset was pretty damn nice, too. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of road riding. We have the peninsula um, here, which is one of the Presque Isle State Park. Uh, right in our area. And mm. so it's a huge, huge hub for road cycling and, and really year-round cycling that a lot of people will do even in the winter there. Um, so we, we definitely have more road riding here. But I have, through some some Strava stocking, have found some, some riders that also kind of dabble in the distance stuff mm. and gravel community and have really 
kind of grown to to a gravel community, a gravel group here, and um, have found a really great group of friends through riding bikes. Mm. And, um, you know, I have people that we've done these amazing bikepacking trips together and group rides and the mountain biking here is really amazing. So even though we're a place that it's a really small city right on the lake, um, the cycling community here is really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. And we have a, a mountain bike area called Jake's Rocks. It's the Allegheny National Forest. It's about an hour and a half from here. And probably some of my favorite gravel riding in the immediate area. Hmm. There are just, um, you know, single track and double track and gravel and fire roads for miles. And it's really a blast to ride in. And then, you know, a little bit further east, we have Rothrock and the State College area and Wellsboro. And there is really, really incredible gravel riding in that area. The climbs are absolutely nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably you know, much get... longer than the Nebraska rollers. Yes. <laughs> you know, we kind of joke about like the golden ratio or, uh, you know, we call it the PA ratio where you get about 100 feet to um, per mile in, in some of the climbing. And, you know, you'll do 50 miles with, with 7,000 feet of climbing. Oh, um, you can make work here. So... <laughs> There is really a lot and, and great bike packing in the area. And so for Pennsylvania, which isn't always from the outside known as having really great gravel riding, uh, you know, PA all day, we have amazing gravel right here in our backyard. Um, so I cannot say enough good things about Pennsylvania, <laughs> Pennsylvania riding. Well, and it sounds like you've got a little bit of everything as far as gravel, mountain biking, road biking, like you've got it all. Yes. I think the only thing we're missing is uh, is a little bit of cyclocross, but Cleveland and Pittsburgh pick up the slack on our end there. So perfect. Uh, with a little road trip, you can make that happen too. Perfect. Good. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, you recently participated in the Michigan Coast to Coast on a single speed. Um, mm -hmm. Any other adventures you want to talk about, or adventures you have set up in the future? Yeah. Um, I'm really excited, actually. Um, in about a month, I will be doing the Arkansas High Country South Loop. Mm. And that one is 487-mile bike pack race. What? Um, and that's the short distance. Uh, so the Arkansas High Country has sort of been... I first learned about it in 2019 when I started riding um, and just thought it was the coolest thing it was my first dot watching experience. And it is a 1031 mile bike pack race that traverses Arkansas. Wow. Um, and you get a little bit of everything. And I sort of fell in love with the idea of, of bike packing after learning about this. And I've dot watched it every year mm. and just some really amazing riders have taken this on and actually two of the riders who I've dot watched over the last couple of years in some of the races down there were at gravel worlds. And I had the opportunity to oh, meet them. Wow. Um, yeah. Brett Stepanek and Lindsay Shepard have both done it. Um, Lindsay became the first female to complete the, the thousand mile race on a single speed last year. Mm. And is a huge inspiration for, for me wanting to try these different events and, and to continue to single speed. So it was so amazing meeting them at Gravel Worlds, and I'm always excited to dot watch them. And I'm going to be 40 this year, and the race happens to fall over my birthday. And oh. So I said, "This is this is what I'm going to do for my birthday." It's meant to be. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so I am. I'm really excited. I will be riding single speed this year. Oh wow! Um, for that, so that's that's the last kind of event that I have on my on my calendar for this year and sort of deciding what direction to go next year, whether it's, you know, a little bit more bike packing, yeah. some other races. I think I, I really kind of like the idea of dipping my toe into the bike packing races. And I think there's a few I'll probably, probably look into doing next year for, you know, longer distances or different types of terrain. Um, and you said ends. the, the one in Arkansas is 457 miles. Is that what you said? Uh, 487 miles is the, the South Loop that we're doing. And that starts in Hot Springs. 
um, on October 8th. So it'll be another another kind of fun dot watch. Yeah. And when you say, you know, 487 miles, please tell me that you'll be like at least taking a nap at some point, right? You're not going to try and do that straight through. <laughs> no, this, uh, this definitely will be some strategic sleeping, yes. uh, whether it's in a ditch or uh, on the side of the road or in a hotel. Um, you know, for the bike packing races, if you leave the course, as long as you come back on in the same place, you can kind of set up camp. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, with the opportunity to kind of race it if you want to or ride it if you want to. Sure. It's all about completing that distance um, in in whatever method. Some people will have, you know, full tent setups and cook cook systems and enjoy a route that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to rise and ride, excuse me. And then some people will, will absolutely race through. Mm. And I'm, I'm have no doubt. There's probably somebody that'll try to push the mileage. Uh, The race director just uh, did another race called North South Colorado. I believe that one is about 500 miles Mm. and he completed that with no sleep uh, or maybe a small nap. I mean, it's just incredible to watch him do something like that. So absolutely, there will be people that will be taking on this event in the same way. Wow. So I, I plan on, on at least getting some naps in for sure. Sure, yeah. Well, I know I will for sure be dot watching because that is, I don't know, I'm pretty excited for you. Um, if people want to follow you, whether it's dot watching or just, you know, see some of the photos from your adventures, do you have mm-hmm. a place? Um, Instagram is usually the easiest. Uh, my handle on there is large underscore Marge 03. Awesome. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I can, you know, I feel the mileage keeps creeping up. So there will be a time, I bet you, you'll be back on this podcast to tell me about your thousand mile Arkansas adventure. It's a date. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. It was great meeting you at Gravel Worlds. This has been a lot of fun. You bet. Well, listeners, that is it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com, or you can also follow us on social media at Just Go Bike on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if you're a fan. And if you have any extra time, pop on over to the Morphology Podcast for more bike adventure interviews. All right, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week. Until then, just just go bike! bike!